Hello everyone, this is Ari in the Air, welcome back to the podcast, Doctor here. Today I have a conversation with my friend Greg Enriquez. Greg is a professor of psychology at James Madison University in Virginia. He is the author of the book, The New Unified Theory of Psychology. Greg has worked extensively at bringing coherence into the field of psychology. This is something that we will go into further in future conversations, but today we talk a lot about the collective nervous system, like what is happening in people's emotions, both individually and collectively with the pandemic, the tsunami of mental health and suicide that is arriving on the shores of humanity right now and so much more greg is a very amazing person he has an awesome presence i really feel super safe with him he's a curator of amazing conversations and is a great speaker and writer himself and i so appreciate our continued conversations as you'll notice we start this conversation by talking about how this is our third conversation and only the first one that's made it to this podcast based on technical difficulties, which is disappointing, but true. So without further ado, here's a little music and a conversation with Dr. Greg Enriquez. Also, don't forget, if you want to support this podcast, make sure you share and like and do all the things that help me wrestle the algorithm and feel free to donate at paypal.me slash airy in the air thank you so much here we go Okay, Greg, it's hilarious how the universe has really uh, conspired against us with uh, these episodes. <laughs> Somehow this is our f- third conversation and w- will likely be the first one to get posted to the podcast. Um, but They were mind-blowing, man. We got to the center of the universe. but We oh really well, did. <laughs> no, we really have made a lot of progress and the dialogos that we come into every time is why we uh, keep doing this together and I really appreciate it. The first episode, we talked about the tree of knowledge and the incoherence in psychology and all the work that you've done about that. And then the second one, we really focused on the calm MO, which I still, you know, it's written on a whiteboard on my fridge. Mm. And um, uh, my girlfriend and I have been using that lately a lot and we appreciate that. And, you know, since then I've been involved with your your talk list, your... Yep. Their uh, theory of knowledge is that is that I, I sometimes I lose track of what TOK which TOK it is. <laughs> it's like the tree of knowledge or it's the theory of knowledge. But anyways, right. it's a great group of thinkers and intellectuals. And um, the other day we had a great presentation by some of your graduate students there at James Madison about race and about how to be a ally, of which I had some resistance to, but was very glad that I was there. I was glad you were there too, friend. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. It was nerve wracking, but it was like fun. I felt like I felt safe to be my skeptical self. Yep. I felt safe to be my skeptical self and uh, safety is a huge thing right now. Um, (laughs) Right. Too much, I am. Uh, right. We actually, I used to criticize safe spaces and now I'm like, Jesus, do we need them? <laughs> I know. No, like, I know. I, I flipped on that one. It's like, actually, yeah, no, we be brave in safe spaces in advance. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my God, Greg. Oh my God. That's so funny. That's so funny because <laughs> I'm, that's, that's, um, that's something I, I, I so agree on. And typically I, I tend to, 
the institutional idea of a safe space still seems ridiculous to me. Oh, but, oh my God. Interpersonally, interpersonal safe space is just absolutely profound. Like we absolutely have to have it. And totally. through this podcast, like I've said before, this podcast has been the most transformational experience of my life that I just mm. like have these conversations. I come to them like willing to be transformed, willing to learn, willing to share. You know, I think that it's weird. I find myself more willing to be vulnerable with you than my best friend. And that's something we're going to get to. Okay. I would like to today to go into my own anecdote of what has been going on in my life and my mind and my heart for the last couple of weeks as a way to glean deeper understandings for what might be happening in society at large. Okay. And uh, obviously love to have your input on those kinds of things uh, because I really value it. And I think that there's, um, you know, I'm not so stuck in my own thing that I can't see out of it. Luckily I can, um, luckily I'm still in a place where I can see out of my own, uh, suffering and the stacks of misery that I've had coming, <laughs> falling onto my head lately. Okay. Um, and there's a number of things. There's a number of things. And to start with the, the safety piece here, there's a couple different, there's a couple different, different angles that I'll, mm-hmm. that I'll bring in here. Mm-hmm. The first of which is that I have for my entire life been incredibly extroverted, chummy, personable, Mm -hmm. and comfortable. Mm -hmm. As an adolescent, I wasn't so much, but as an adult, I've become very comfortable being naked, even in public, (laughs) which is a, which is a funny, like, um, it's like a funny example. Like I swim naked at the river every day. And I almost think it's good for people to be like, oh my God, a naked guy at the river. Why does that seem so normal? Mm. You know, this like, (laughs) we have this kind of crazy, this kind of like, I guess to tangent here, it's it's almost that society seems to have a sickness that is an illusion of what human bodies are Mm -hmm. and what like people are like. This is kind of like tied to social media. What, what people are like, what their lives are like, what their thoughts are like, what their nature is like, how they are. Mm-hmm. We have this illusion by wearing clothes, by wearing our masks, mm-hmm. our masks of um, justification. Yes, our public self. Our public self, yes. And so I've been feeling uncomfortable lately. Mm-hmm. Really like in a deep existential way. And mm-hmm. so the other day I'm sitting by the river just down from my house with my dog. I'm reading a book, Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein. Mm. I hear people walking down the trail. Okay. The thing that arises in me is like this crazy defensiveness. Like, first of all, it's a fear that I'll be encountered. Mm. Second of all, it's like this voice comes into my head of like, you know, like their voice comes into my head of like, you can't be here. What are you doing here? You can't have your dog here. Your dog's not on a leash. And then my, my voice is like, fuck you. You can't tell me what to do. Right. Come say it to my face. Mm-hmm. Good. And I'm like, I see that. I'm like, holy shit. I'm so fucking uncomfortable here at like my favorite river spot. Like I'm three minutes from there. Mm-hmm. Like my house is three minutes from there. And I'm like, I am fucking uncomfortable at my favorite river spot in the afternoon sun and the river breeze. I'm just like, here I am like being I'm having to defend my fucking existence. Right. Like from one, it's like my activity or my location. Mm-hmm. But at the, at the root of it, it really is my existence. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having a really deep discomfort. And as I start to noodle on this, mm-hmm. I think that my discomfort is really closely tied to the quarantine, the pandemic, this like the thing that 
there's almost like this collective energy that we're afraid of each other, that we need to distance ourselves from each other, that we like, like even just the grocery shopping experience has so drastically changed where typically you bump elbows with people looking for the parsley and you're like, Oh, is that, you know, and now right. like I'm at, I'm at the, like the organic produce aisle and people are just like waiting for me to leave there so that they can right. approach it. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is such a weird thing for me. I'm so chummy and I'm so personable and I love strangers and now right. this whole thing is really like, it's getting to me in ways that two months ago, I was like, this won't get to me. Yep. I'm fine. Do this. Mm-hmm. Why is everyone freaking out? What right. a bunch of pussies. Yep. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh my God, it's like the collective experience is really getting to me. And so right. that's um, something that that's a, my personal anecdote that, yep. you know, I've written about in my journal as the the collective nervous system, like what, what I might be feeling, I imagine is something that we are collectively feeling and like, not just the, the tension from online hubris and, and self-righteous tension and drama. And just, I think the embodied feeling that are, that the meta crisis is real, that our systems are fucked up. But this, there's two things. One is like, I, I'm feeling um, a, a discomfort at a level I've never experienced. Okay. That at times borders on what I would consider depression. And the other is that I'm having like what I've coined as worldview whiplash. Okay. That my conception of the world, my understanding of how things actually are has changed so quickly and so drastically that my psyche, my, Uh I guess to put it concisely, it is the realization that the meta crisis is not outside of me. The meta crisis is not outside. Could you say that again? I lost that last. The, Ah. to put it eloquently. Yeah. The meta crisis is not outside of me. It is like this Mm -hmm. scary realization of like, looking out the window and being like, Oh yeah, yeah, a bunch of peons. You guys are fucked. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know? And then I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh God. Oh God. The meta crisis is actually inside of me. My, all of Mm -hmm. my systems, all of my systems won't work. (laughs) All of my systems aren't working. (laughs) They're antiquated. They're outdated. They're dinosaurs. (laughs) They're relics. Right. I'm a walking blue church. I'm a fucking walking blue church and I hate the blue church. And so that turns (laughs) the gun towards myself. Right. I, so why are you uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> and so, man, you know, I am grateful. You know, my best friend yesterday, uh, he says, well, God, man, I'm so glad you have such emotional intelligence and uh, vulnerability that you can actually see and say those things that are happening inside of you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like the pressure valve is not stuck closed. Like I think it used to be inside of myself. I find myself crying and I find myself journaling and I find myself sad. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. those things are, uh, they seem to be moving inside of me, which is good or it seems to be good, but it's not without some level of confusion and misery, but, but yeah, I feel like my own anecdote here is pretty, um, Mm-hmm. salient as far as what is happening in the world amen okay so let's let's deconstruct what you just said all right so it's really important and i think that anybody who's actually paying attention um should be able to empathize okay at some level and what i mean by that so so i just listened to paul vanderclay you know he talks to john verbeke occasionally a pastor reflective pastor. I, I don't listen to a huge number of pastors, but interesting guy. Um, and I, he, what he just put, we're all coming unglued was the title. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So, um, so yeah, this is, we're, we're in a collective crisis and individuals that are paying attention to it should have it internalized at some level uh, and, ha- and be a fractal of it at some level. Okay. So, so, that's, um, so that's part of the situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit about your unique scenario. Uh, you know the particular energies that you bring as a strong extrovert. Okay, so you have a strong expositor disposition. Mm-hmm. 
It means you're socially engaged, you're energetic, uh, quick form of relationships and involvement. Okay. And, and, and you obviously, through your sociality and your athleticism, you have received an enormous amount of, you know, reinforcement for that for good reason, because you're a competent motherfucker. Hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're right in the middle of your young adult transition around identity and connection. And now all of a sudden the fucking virus hits you and sure you have reserves at the first three, four weeks, six weeks, whatever, right? But the virus is taking some of the shit that makes you powerful and forcing you to back down in relationship to that, mm -hmm. right? It's boxing your ass. Mm -hmm. So powerful, athletic young men who feel boxed for three weeks. Okay. Three months, <laughs> three years. Yeah. Fucking a, that's not going to sit well with the libido. Nope. So, so I hear you. Uh, if we stay at this, this extroverted part of you is getting boxed in. All right. And now you have to decide how much you're going to try to control it. And unfortunately, because it's high energy to control, it means you have to become a paranoid motherfucker. Mm. Right. And then you hate both sides of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I heard in the story you told me mm -hmm. on the river. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is some kind of paranoia. Well, how are you going to box in this sociability of being in the organics and saying, hey, you know, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. okay. okay. And not only that, we talked about safety. Not only did you get that, now we have the whole, you're a white man. Okay. Yeah, no shit. Uh, and we just turned up the dial on that shit. Mm -hmm. Right. You got to apologize for your existence there. Mm -hmm. Apologize for it. Yeah. That doesn't feel great. No. So these are some of the things that your phenomenological energy system is going to be, you know, charged and jerking you around around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that the timeline of the pandemic is so important and that, you know, just in general, people have such a hard time of being vigilant for such an amount of time changing their, you know, like, Oh, can we, can I do a lockdown for two weeks? Sure. Yeah. This feels like some kind of vacation with an added uh, internet drama to what is otherwise some right. kind of vacation mode. But the long-term embodiment of that lifestyle changes proving to be detrimental to my mental well-being in a, in a way that I couldn't have predicted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I th and I certainly think, you know, uh, th there's a wave of stress, as I knew, you know, we talked about the tsunami of mental health. So you're going to get this lockdown and the chaos and the overwhelming of medical systems, right? And then you're going to get the financial buildup of stress, and then mm -hmm. you're going to get a tsunami of mental health problems and that's where we're now we're seeing the rising wave of tsunami of mental health issues as, as everybody comes unglued and as everybody's stress tolerance starts reaching its limits um and and you and then that uh, executive function system can only sit on that goddamn boilerplate for so fucking long before yeah. people start popping off yeah and there are so many reasons for people to there are so many justifications at hand that people can pop off and you know yeah yep so uh you know i'm anticipating us going through a hell of a fucking wave and hopefully through the wave find the path if you, if you go through dark night soul shit and find the path you know the system will be healthier on the other side but we are in the midst of it so this is gonna be painful yeah and are we gonna what are the metrics at which we're going to see this are we going to see 
depression, suicide? What are the what are the likely outcomes of this tsunami? How are we going to see it in other ways than just our individual? Well, that's a great question. I, I mean, I there's so many different systems that are now in the midst of wavering that that we are in the in a gigantic moment of massive uncertainty. So I'm in no, you know, uh, I will tell you that prior to this, soon uh, to the release of COVID and the shutdown and then the release of this tidal wave, you know, we were clearly tracking a 15 year long mental health crisis Mm -hmm. at the aggregate level. I mean, I was, I, in 2014, I wrote a blog that went viral. It was like the college student mental health crisis because we were tracking, you could actually look at, and it's not that college students were per se of, of young people um, were troubled relative to say kids not going to college. No, it's just that we had good data on what college students were doing and youth. And basically we were seeing a youth and college student mental health crisis. What do we mean by that? We mean a tracking upward of levels of depression, in particular anxiety. In fact, anxiety just took off. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the levels of anxiety are standard deviation and a half, two standard deviations above where things were 30 years ago. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. And, and so uh, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, and so you're tracking that prior to all of this. Oh, no. um, and so now you add that, while some kids will adjust and then find their way, the numbers of them that are already in vulnerable situations that are then um, going to feel imprisoned by this and also terrified by what it means about their development um, and then be collectively stressed and distressed um, as financial problems happen, as the world changes and uncertainty emerges about what are the paths of, you know, it's going to be a a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, now that's the understatement of the year. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, and it's crucial. In fact, that's why we started the whole, what, what, um, the whole idea of we thrive, um, was to try to create, try to lay the groundwork for creating a beacon of well-being communities where people could come together and form trusting relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and like you, give, have safe space so that you can actually start to process mm-hmm. what metabolically, emotionally, metabolically is happening, All right? So what, you, what we need to be doing is we need to, our emotional system is going to be reacting here, okay? We're going to be anxious, which means we have, we're facing threat, we're going to experience losses, we're going to, and people are coming down the path that may not be safe, okay? So you get active avoidance that way. We're going to be facing depression and the losses that, you know, uh, I wanted to graduate. I didn't graduate. I wanted to get this job. I wanted to have this money. I wanted to, these are the passive investment that I thought I could have. And now those things have greatly constrained. That's why economic depression and mass psychological depression, there are states of shutdown. Okay. And so anxiety, depression, and then you get, then you get a buildup of destructive rage, which tries mm-hmm. to destroy the shit that's coming at you, especially if you have some people go in, uh, you know, have internalizing conditions where they turn it inward. I'm a piece of shit. There's nothing I can do. I'm helpless. And others have an externalized, get this fucking thing out of the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so those are, that's that negative affect system. It's going to be charged. Mm-hmm. Are are you familiar with David R. Hawkins, Power Versus Force? Uh, I've heard of that, but no, I'm actually not. Uh, I'd welcome a little brief review on that. He David Hawkins was a psychiatrist. He actually started the biggest psychiatry practice in America and ran it for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And he was had an amazing history as a, as in spirituality. When he was, uh, you know, when he was six, he. F- he recounts having like a experience of awakening at school where he like realized what he was as a human. And, and then as at 13, he had this crazy experience where he was 
delivering newspapers in Minnesota where he grew up in a big blizzard and the wind pushed his bike over and spilled all the newspapers and he was crying and tears freezing on his face and he burrowed into a snowbank and he had like his first like crazy psychedelic experience of oneness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, years later as he, you know, was amidst the biggest psychiatry practice in America, he took seven years and went to his cabin in the woods and contemplated and meditated and came back as a spiritual teacher and author and essentially power versus force. I guess what I was, what I was leading to was essentially he created a scale of emotion from the lowest Mm. being shame. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've heard of this, the lowest being shame. And then it, it climbs out of shame Mm -hmm. to anger and rage. Mm -hmm. The level 200 being like the neutral level is integrity where you would actually take responsibility. And then from there, the positive emotions grow Mm -hmm. and, you know, unconditional love being at 500 and then Mm -hmm. something like Jesus or angelic nature is like at a thousand. And this is a logarithmic scale. So (laughs) what you're talking about of, you know, I, I, I really like that uh, framework and Mm -hmm. I have seen it in myself. I have seen myself go from apathy and shame to feeling relief at anger. Mm -hmm. Like anger is like a slightly higher emotion than shame. And so we go from shame and apathy. And then when we get enraged and we want to destroy something, it's at least relief from the shame, but we actually haven't, come into anything positive yet. We're still in a low state of being. Yeah. Yeah, I can, uh, you know, I, I, I now recall uh, encountering this and, and that's going to have, from my vantage point, that will have some definite wisdom uh, to it. You know, there's my therapist and philosopher side, which can embrace that. There's a scientist kind of side that's going to say, well, there's going to be, there's some specifics that I'd have to get into. Um, there's certainly there. So when you're at your smallest, so shame is fundamentally about it's worthlessness, inferiority. It's, it's completely broken helplessness. Okay. And then when you experience core shame, it's the implosion of turning against yourself and being nothing. Right. So, so anger, basically to be angry at least is to have a capacity to protect the self and have energy in relationship to that. Okay. Um, and, and as you move towards to be in a place of sort of, you know, uh, I work with a guy who emphasized the true self and I sh- I showed how my unified framework, you know, aligned with his version of true self. Um, but basically the alignment of the positive organismic valuing force in your heart through your self level, which then gets organized in the relational scale uh-huh. up. And virtually all wisdom traditions, if you look for it, have this view where kind of tendencies, okay, into your ego-based tendencies, and then to transcend the ego with love, um, to tra- I mean, and, and that's the archetype of Jesus, and, and, and in various ways, uh, virtually uh, Confucius has that basic frame. Um, all the wisdom trees are sort of transcending the ego toward the shining light of goodness. Uh-huh. Yes. And, and the journey of being beaten up by life and then finding ways toward that pathway, you know, and, and then finding yourself settled uh, in that pathway, meaning not, you know, you'd always get thrown around, but finding yourself somehow organized in relation to that. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the, 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 you know, the challenge, I think, in terms of the path journey towards wisdom before death, <laughs> you know, that, that's a, not a bad way of framing it. Hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I'm noticing, I referred earlier that I was very comfortable 
being deeply vulnerable with you. Mm. And that might be more so than my closest friends here. Mm. And one of my first podcast interviews in the meta crisis was with Rich Bartlett. And he said that he wanted all of his relationships to be therapeutic. And Mm. And I totally agree. I totally agree. I want all of my relationships to be therapeutic on some level. And my best friend and I, we have a very high bandwidth relationship. And yesterday we were talking about this reality that I would be more apt to cry on a Zoom call to Peter Lindbergh than I would be in person to him. Mm. And it essentially is something that I'm dealing with in my intimate relationship as well, which is that in the beginning of the relationship, there's some kind of, and and this is more with my best friend, my male best friend, who's an athlete as well. There's some foundation of like challenge. There's a foundation of, of, there's some adversarial, some kind of debate we're both very uh, confrontational. We're both very debate-oriented. Sure. We, we actually can thrive in that kind of... Mm-hmm. Test um, the metal of the other. Mm-hmm. Of course. And grow and grow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In the arena. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Some days I'm the sword. Some days I'm the stone. And yeah. we uh-huh. go back and forth, right? But what I'm realizing now is as you have... As we've, as we've talked, the time frame on the shit sandwich and how heavy it is on my back and how long I can carry that around while still maintaining this challenging adversarial conflict based Mm. relationship that I have Mm -hmm. is like at some point that the nature of that relationship is literally not fulfilling a need anymore. Mm -hmm. Like the need of being challenged, the need Mm -hmm. of like, having something that's trying to temper me. Like Mm -hmm. it's not meeting the need anymore because I feel so challenged. I feel like the world is, Mm -hmm. is trying to sharpen me and please stop trying to sharpen me, Daniel. I really Mm -hmm. like, I just need you to fucking hold me. I need some help. I need to be seen. I need to be Mm -hmm. supported because holy Mm -hmm. shit, man, I'm being sharpened from every other angle. And right. The thing, the thing about it is this like when you develop a relationship that is kind of that has that nature from its beginning absolutely it seems really difficult to repattern your relationships this is the the experience that i have in my intimate relationship is that i come to this like inquiry of like feeling okay we're at somewhere where we are somehow habituated into feeling hurt by each other in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the person that you think that I am is not the person that I feel like I am. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it would be easier for us to break up so that I could let someone else create the image of how they see me rather than try to deconstruct your image of me and then build it back up in a new way. Right. So I think what I'm extrapolating from this anecdote is that literally our, this is the meta, this is the internal meta crisis. This is the interpersonal meta crisis is that literally our relationships, our friendships do not meet the needs that we have in the meta crisis. Like that literally as people just get worn down by the virus and by the tension and the stress and the race riots and the political dysfunction Mm -hmm. and the ecological disaster, as this just weighs on us and we get broken down and broken down and broken down, our friendships that used to challenge us and used to help us grow are are ineffective because now we don't need the challenge from our friendships. We need the support from our friendships. We need our friendships to be in a safe space that we used to joke about because Mm -hmm. what we used to need was tempering and we used to need Mm -hmm. a sharp, a hard stone to sharpen ourselves Mm -hmm. on. 
and now we need a fucking pillow and now we need a soft a soft shoulder to cry on right mm-hmm. and in myself it's like it's a that's a tough transition for me to go from like fuck yeah mm-hmm. man right. to like woman <laughs> almost like to zoom out yeah, no, an archetypal yep. yeah archetypally okay yeah so there's a couple of different layers here okay so um one is yes the meta crisis is all of a sudden we're in the process of transformation okay all right and and thus the rules start to change the the stability of the expected pattern you know is shifting so that now all of a sudden there's transformation all right and people respond to the opportunity for transformation in different ways okay so i'll give you a minor example of this with my own life all right uh, although there's several uh, I've gone through several different transformations in my life. The, the most major personal transformation was when I discovered the unified framework back in 1996, 1997. And in a short period of time of a year or so, um, I was a different fucking person mm-hmm. in many ways. Okay. Um, I went through a minor transformation, life transformation, starting in 2018. Okay. Um, and without getting into it, I started actually, I got in a fight with my program over Jordan Peterson, the students in my program and a couple other faculty members. All right. And without getting into it, I essentially then um, started to, I fell down the rabbit hole of the intellectual dark, deep web and meta modern, you know, and got to here. <laughs> you know, I, not too many fucking acad- full professor academics are hanging out in this space. It's true. Right? It's a dangerous place to be. I know. Um, and, and it's just not there. That's not where most people's heads are. Okay. Well, I'm my relationship with the Blue Church Academy set me up for this. Okay. I was still dancing with it. I was like, oh, we're going to transform. We'll evolve. Okay. Uh, and then 2018, I was like, oh my God, there's so much institutional inertia. I've been dealing with it for a whole fucking long period of time. Then I, you know, I fall down the rabbit hole and heart hanging out with Alexander Bard and, you know, whatever, you know, just uh, all the all the people that are in this, you know, uh, Peter Lindbergh space, right? Okay. And, and, and I then really start to then think much more systemically about what I know about the fifth joint point. The fifth joint point is a transition in the digital dimension of complexity, which I saw in my own version of that. And now I start lining up Jordan Hall's vision, Daniel Smackenberger's vision, all the other people's vision, the game B people, et cetera. And everybody else that's like, holy shit, the world is facing a meta crisis and then requires a transition, not like in 50 years, which was sort of like, hmm, you know, we have, no, it's like, it's coming fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And indeed, if it doesn't happen, given the stacked vulnerabilities of the institutional global world situation, we may be fucked. Okay. Okay. So, what, what is, how does that relate? Well, my family would know that I, you know, they'd hear me, uh, global civilization collapse people. <laughs> okay. I'd start saying that. All right. <laughs> and then, you know, and I'd be talking about it and sort of being obsessed and being like, listen, I, I called the fifth joint point, but I was actually, uh, I thought we had way more time. I, uh, this is like here people. And everyone's like, they've already got so used to me and my fucking theory. That's like, Oh God. But he was a whole nother <laughs> layer. Right of dad wandering around talking about, you know, I don't know, you're going to have the jobs that I was expecting, you know, okay. And everything's on the horizon. And at that, you know, a year ago, I was like, Jesus, dad, another layer of your bullshit. You know, I can't fucking take it. I love this view from your children's perspective of your intellectual evolution here. (laughs) You know, so there it is. And then it's like, you know, how do you kind of relate to that in the, in the world? You know, uh, so it's, it's, in other words, you feel alien, you feel weird. Uh, you, they're seeing shit, but it's very hard for the system to empathize with you and, and to hold you. Mm-hmm. And if you're sitting there battling with your old friends, you know, I mean, the shit, I, you know, I have friends from high school. We, we're, we started doing a every other week Zoom, you know, and I'm the weird dude, obviously. I mean, who the, who the fuck builds a unified theory? Right? So... But, but I'm echoing that to say that you're in a weird space, right? You're, you are part of the line of information that at least of one sense-making community that is changing, that's seeing, tracking the changes, 
and then saying, oh my God, we have to, we're in it. We have to think differently and, and we have to go through the kairos and transformation of being differently. And we don't know how to do that. It's going to be weird. It's going to be scary. It's all these questions emerge. We have to start thinking seriously about what we're in it. And your high school buddy's probably like, fuck, man, I just want to play a god. Get back sharpening swords. What the fuck? What is this stuff? I know. Um, I don't know where he is on the on that whole system, uh, but many of that's where a lot of my uh, my contacts would be. So it would create a disconnect as as you transform, whether other people will transform with you or not. Okay, is a very very good question. And then you have to then be like, well, am I going to stay in these relationships and try to reboot them? Right so that I can be seen the way I need to be seen? Do I sacrifice that and just deal with it? Do I find other people who can see me from the beginning and the way I knew self is? Very, very common struggles in this way you echoed them. Yeah, they're definitely struggles. They're definitely struggles. And I think that the, that I could probably talk about the meta crisis externally ad infinitum but the moment it comes in between my ears it's like it's a much heavier situation amen a few things more intimate <laughs> yeah no kidding right i mean this is like hey, wait a minute i live here <laughs> yeah yeah well here yeah you yeah it's like a nimby it's like a nimby i don't know if you've heard nimby but that's a acronym not in my backyard right no, right. you can't yes, do no. that here. Not in my right. backyard. Yeah, well, well, you try to bully that thing out of there, and we'll <laughs> yeah. see. Good luck with that. <laughs> right? You're going to bring your A game uh, yeah. to, the, to the meta crisis and push yeah. it back? Uh, yeah. You know, you, you got a little thimble versus an ocean yep. when, it, when you put it up like that. And so it's like, oh, actually, I got to ride this fucking wave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting, too. I think that I would love to hear your thoughts on – transformation what it because i feel this is what i've something that i've felt is that if i am to transform which is what i'm being called to do right if the meta crisis if the world needs to change i need to change mm -hmm. if there's racism then i need to address that in myself people don't like that and they basically lash out on other white people violently online because they don't actually want to address it themselves but I wrote that if, if I am to transform, I feel like I need time and space and support and right. that I assume that most people need that. So I would love to hear your thoughts on what, what people need to transform. Like what is the, what's the incubator? What does the support systems look like? Because I think I've painted a number of pictures in my own life where I'm like, I am in transformation and I don't have the support that I feel like I need. And the, as I go through transformation, it feels more like being chewed up. Yep. Okay. Um, well, first off, the, the, the obviously transformation is a big word, but I, I'll, I'll give you some thought. So when we're, when we're sort of in the meat grinder of transformation, okay. So from the bottom, it's, it's scary. It's painful. You get hit. Um, it's uncertain. And so, you're in a flux state, all right? And, and the part of us that wants predictability, certitude, know where the hell we're going, that's, that part freaks out like a little child, and we want safety in relationship to that, to know that things will be okay, okay? And depending on the kind of transformation, right? I mean, obviously, sometimes things aren't okay, <laughs> And, and that's then, you know, you're really the, you know, the ultimate confrontation with that. And then how to deal with that? You know, obviously a lot of people just get bowled over it, you know, read man's search for meeting, you know, Victor Frankel, and you see people getting bowled over. Um, and you see then somebody going to the depths of the worst hell on earth you could fundamentally imagine. Right. And then trying to find, you know, that anchor point, you know, of transformation into himself as to talk about in his fucking backyard. Right. Um, and, and so that's how bad it can get, you know, for some poor bastards. And, 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 you know, 
what the hell would I become in a goddamn Auschwitz camp? Probably a steel and thieving lying motherfucker till I die. I don't know. I hope not. But I have nothing to, I've never experienced anything. I've had my own little dark nights with nothing like that. So I don't know how deep, you know, how long I can hold on. Okay. So in the, in the dangerous transformational dynamics, the threat, the existential threat, it's profound. We definitely want safety. And if we're fortunate enough to have it, to just attend to our basic Maslow's needs of, yeah, I want physical safety, you know, and, and you know, basic physiological needs and, and a relational field that can at least know and value me enough so that I'm not completely isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then those are, those are, you know, if you're going to, obviously some people are able to get through that even when they don't have that, but if you don't have that base level, you know, then you're, the likelihood that the transformation is just traumatizing because you're getting then traumatized is high. And that's a very, very, you know, it's very tough. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you can do certain things, but that's, that's enough to knock people over generally. Okay. What we can prevent from happening is as we lose our psychological sense of security, okay? By that, I mean moving up in the Maslow sense of belonging, and esteem needs, which is mostly what we actually confront, okay? What is my place as a white man or, or, or an extroverted professional athlete in this world, okay? What is my relationship with my wife and my kids, all right? How much do they love me, respect me, protect me, value me, put me up on a pedestal, whatever it is? And then when we feel that place not being known and valued, not being clear on what we are in terms of our own self-esteem into self-actualization, not finding the path that we expected for ourselves and then being really disappointed by that, being super pissed that people are in the way of that, and then dealing with that psychosocial neurotic hell. And by neurotic, I mean you have the negative reactions and negative feelings and negative reactions to those things and then box you in, okay? To, so you're feeling super paranoid on the, uh, at the edge of the lake. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. right. Now, what we can do, I believe, and this is the, I mean, this uh, calm MO is your shorthand for this, but basically to create the arena of adaptive transformation when people are in these kinds of states mm. is to follow those principles. Okay. So in other words, if you're in an esteem and belonging shitstorm of negative affect, relational value, you know, defense, all right, identity confusion, you know, and who the hell am I partnered with here? And is, am I getting my needs met or not? All right. Then what, what will very often happen, the nightmare that we help in psychotherapy, what you see all the time, is a vicious cyclical psychodynamic process, okay, of people getting injured, getting defensive, splitting off their shadow, attacking another because it's, because of the vulnerable and the other person's going through their own shit or gets sucked into the whirlwind of this person's shit. And then you boom. Okay. Then it's a decomp, a defensive, aggressive decompensation where hostility seems to be the strategy of protection, but it actually is a strategy of mutual destruction. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Painfully so. Okay. So we have, all right. From where I'm sitting, we have fucked up our human psychology. Mm -hmm. All right. And we hopefully can find a path to healthy psychological systemic functioning. I don't mean it is inside of us and it's between us. Okay. And we have a massive transformation over the next decade. And, and if more people feel the injury, take ownership, and find a path towards COM-MO, we will move the system okay? and transform it to what could be, what ought to have been in the beginning, <laughs> is raising kids and, you know, with COM-MO through edu education and through you know, all the wisdom traditions so we actually have wise elders, all right? I mean, look who we elected. <laughs> we elected Trump. I mean, for whatever combination of reasons, you know, where's our archetypal father figure? Is that healthy for psychological security, for mm -hmm. depth, for transformational learning, mm -hmm. for ego functioning? I mean, you know, it, it just is, it's just, a, and it's not Trump, it's just a sign of where we are. 
So we're going to have to figure out how to grow up. And in order to go there from here, we all, it's, you know, it's not going to be easy. You know, there's going to be a lot of betrayal, a lot of trauma, a lot of tragedy. Yeah. And I feel like <clears throat> the connection to the anecdote there is that at this point, it's likely that collectively we think it's easier to just tear the whole thing down and rebuild it than it is to reform it. Right. Right. And that's part of the whole danger here. You know, it's part of why I got a big fight with my program. You know? mm -hmm. It was the people that in my estimation who thought they understood simply what they understood partially. In other words, they thought they could reduce so you know, there's a lot of people very concerned, appropriately so, I might add, with social justice inequities and dynamics. Okay. But then the idea that you can police language and microaggressions on your way to the promised land, all right, is mm, probably not actually the full picture. Mm -hmm. okay. Right. Uh, goddamn, unfortunately, things a lot more complicated and a lot deeper uh, than, than policing people whose racism leaks out in implicit ways. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, that's a big, big issue, but that's, <laughs> you know, so, so there are a lot deeper issues in my estimation, foundational issues. Uh, and, and man, you're asking a system to go through foundational issues with a lot of vulnerability as a lot of anxiety, stress, defensive loss happens that's mm -hmm. why i that's why occasionally i wake up crying in the middle of the night as i internalize the meta crisis and be like we're in deep shit there's no way human psychology is going to be capable of doing this no kidding you know so and when you say human psychology there you just mean like the human psyches not not the field of psychology right right no i mean our human psycho the, the we are asking ourselves we have been poorly prepared okay so we haven't been training well for this all right that's what mental health crisis before in the youth we we have the elders haven't been educating the right kinds of wisdom so we don't haven't instilled the right resiliency we are mm -hmm. facing a very multi-headed new hydra beast monster of the meta crises world okay we have now have all these different crazy godlike but insane producing weapons of the digital age right and we have very very limited connection to you know shining lights of wisdom yeah. that, that are clarifying so that you give all those tarot cards out you know and i'm like geez that's not a bad that's not a good deck it's <laughs> not a good deck that's not a good deck you know, you got to do a massive, quick transformation of a large number of individuals from a low starting point who are feeling fragile and defensive and are all of a sudden disappointed that the system isn't going to unfold it all the way they thought over the next 20 years. And then they have to rebuild something, you know, into a wisdom uh, ecology. I could yeah. see why it would go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not impossible to imagine. Man, that's a fucking big mountain. That's a big mountain to climb. Yeah, brother. That's a big mountain to climb. Yeah. I feel it in myself and I feel it around us. And but uh hmm, I guess our choice is it's it's only destruction or creation. It's only like you know, like Zach Stein wrote in his article, a war broke out in heaven, that the war is fought and won or lost in the hearts and minds of every single person. That's right. So, That's exactly right. Yeah. There, there, there's each of us, we're all part of this collective web. Okay. Um, so we have our, we're, we're a thread in the tapestry. All right. So it's both inside of us and between us. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and what I, you know, what I tell people is, is that if we, as long as we're not, you know, as long as the chaos doesn't get super insane, and obviously for some people already is, and they've been living like this for a long time, but we can hold the Maslow first tier levels, okay, of physical safety, physiological protection, and just go through this at the psychological relational chaos level, which is hard, all right? But if we train ourselves to come out of a collective neurotic crazy time, and reboot the proper 
way of thinking about ourself in relation to other, in relationship to wisdom, we can go through psychological craziness and come out the other side and have been transformed into a much healthier state. Hmm. Where's the line? Where's the line where it's like, where's the line of we need to scrap this thing or we need to reform it? Because I've been cynical as to reform for so long. I'm like, if the system could reform itself, it would have. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, in, in each and every relationship, personally, I wonder of like, is this relationship even capable of reforming or is it time to like make a new relationship? Mm-hmm. And that, I guess I would extend out to the world and like, you know, we're painting a pretty big reform picture and this is what Jordan and Daniel kind of refer to as the transition. Mm-hmm. This is like trying to crash land the plane as opposed to just letting it just barrel into the side of the mountain. Mm. So, you know, it's, I guess it's just an inquiry of like, at what point do I like really try to like climb out on the wing and repair the damage to the mm-hmm. aircraft? Or at what point do I, do I hunker down for a hard landing? And at what point do I just take my seatbelt off and enjoy the rest of the ride? You know, <laughs> at some point there's like, Crash it into the mountain. yeah, straight up. There's like, Oh, here, the last fireworks show of my day. Here we go. Right. But there's like, you know, and it's almost, you know, Douglas Rushkoff is talking about at what point do we just start doing palliative care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So there are multiple different layers there, obviously you have to look at it. So there's meaning let's start with local versus global realities. Okay. Um, so if I'm debating what to do with my relationships, that's one set, you know, when do I, when do I break a relationship? Uh, you know, a whole nother game space to play. You know, that's one set of questions. And there are parallels, okay? Um, and then at the global level, uh, you know, at the global level, the, for me, the, the place certainly that I want to play in the tapestry is the A, the A to B transformation, you know, because that's, that's the only way uh, that I can be part of what would be a maintaining a wisdom stance. Hmm. All right. To, to scratch the whole thing, whatever the hell that would look like globally. Okay. Um, sets the stage for, you know, I mean, what, what does that mean? Obviously if the thing's coming down, it's coming down, but uh, you don't want to be anybody pushing buttons to make it come down. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So if any mad scientists would say, well, they're all fucked. So just push a button on them. It's like, you know, I would not want that. That's, that's not certainly not my vision. <laughs> I don't want to be button pushed myself. Yeah. No. Um, so, so you know, for me, and and this is the mindset of a therapist is often certainly ones that work the way I do, which is about um, cultivating adaptive living. Uh, you know, it is awareness and acceptance of where you are, and um, some pathway about where you want to be. And the right mindset for the journey, you know, basically. And, and, and I see that at a macro level. So where the fuck are we? How do we accept where the hell we are? You know? Where do we want to be? And what's the right mindset for that journey? So. Yeah, I think that, that you kind of summarized my reluctance to the black lives matter movement as it's almost like, I don't trust who's pushing that button. Who's like mm-hmm. trying to tug the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. I, I don't trust the people who are, who are ready to burn it down, who have come out of their shame and their oppression and into rage and want to bring the whole thing down under those uh, emotions mindset. Right, so that's the national level. So we need to have a national level discourse. Um, but yes, uh, if, if you believe 
that the United States of America is a forever corrupted institution that engaged in colonial domination and oppression and ruined people's lives irredeemably. Um, well, <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, there's a narrative to be had for that. Yeah. If you're a Native American, I'd probably have that narrative, right? Um, but for Americans to have that narrative about what we are, okay, is a very, very, it's basically, what are you actually saying in relationship to where, what are we going to do? How are we going to be in this world? Okay. Uh, there's a national identity. I, I am a proud American. I don't mind saying that. I don't know. I think of all the various countries, uh, you know, uh, that have been on the planet, uh, it has its original sin with racism in a brutal way. And like all the other damn countries, it was both racist and sexist. It has uh, massive problems, you know. Um, and all the other countries have massive problems too. So there's no, I haven't found any utopias out there. So we're all, it's all human comparison. Mm -hmm. Okay. The grass is greener syndrome. You know, grass, this idea that there's any, uh, I mean, maybe, actually, there were interesting hunter-gatherers that may have lived in pretty interesting harmonies and relational equality and things like that, but not civilizations. Civilizations don't, are, have been unbelievably hierarchical from the beginning and brutalizing the people on the bottom. You know, that's, that is, and we've gotten better in many ways. That's the thing. We definitely, I mean, I, you know, I don't buy it all through, but I read Steve Pinker's Enlightenment now, and I encourage everybody to do so. Of course. You know, right? I mean, there's an enormous trajectory of positivity. Of and course. It's all, and remember, availability, Houston. I mean, you, we have all of this information technology with a media that wants to push the button, say, this is a horror, this is a horror, this is a horror. How could you? Right? And we have all this, this capacity to detect. So obviously, we wake up with availability. Here's, this is horrible. Well, actually, no, we're less violent, we're more kind, we're more tolerant, we're moving towards the, exactly the ideals that somebody like Martin Luther King laid out for us pretty clearly. And, well, shit, you know, no need to push the button on that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <sighs> well, there's hope. There's some hope in there, Greg. There's definitely hope. If it, it, there's definitely hope. So, so there's, you know, there's a, for me at least, the future's got a wide berth of between heaven and hell potential. Uh -huh. okay? Which, which is the, so I tell everybody on the, you know, the podcast I'm on, it's like the Kairos of the moment calls for the best of our characters. Yeah. And that's, and that, that's what I hope will be um, realized. And if that is happen, if that happens, you know, the other side of this thing may be something very glorious. Mm. I love that. That's a perfect place to sign off today. So, all right, brother, I appreciate you having me here. Uh, and uh, you know, it's good to have a third conversation. That is the first. <laughs> yeah, the third of, of many, Greg. All right. Well, I'm happy to come back and narrate and dialogue. Well, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Love you, Greg. See you later, buddy. Peace. Okay, you guys. I hope you like that. I really appreciate Greg and him coming on the show. So, if you guys want to support this show, consider donating. That's paypal.me slash air in the air. You guys stay healthy, stay sane, stay safe. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace.
Thank you.